Well, let me welcome the Gables campus this morning to church. Yeah. Man, what a time of worship we just enjoyed together. I want to welcome the Gables campus, welcome Church Online, all of you joining us live on social media. We welcome you. We're so glad you're joining us today. You know, over the last couple of months, Pastor Bill has been opening his, his messages with a statement, a declaration of faith. And I thought, man, I'm going to continue that tradition. I love this tradition that he's been doing. And so I want you to repeat after me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's do it one more time. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Can we do it one more time like it's 9.30 in the morning? Yeah. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Man, that's one of the great promises from Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. In fact, that was my ordination verse because no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens in your life, Christ in you, for those who believe, and the hope of glory is leading you. That's, that's a true promise for you, for all of those who believe. And I take that, I claim that today for myself as well as we begin. And uh, we need this promise. We need to hear this promise from time to time because every now and then, there comes a point in all of our lives, many points, when one season ends and a new one begins and life changes forever as a result, right? I mean, we all know this. We've all experienced this in weddings, funerals, baptisms, the birth of a child, job transitions. We've all experienced this from time to time in our lives. I experienced this significantly in September 2006. I've, I've experienced this with the birth of my kids and marriage and all of that, but in September 2006, I experienced this poignantly when I began my seminary preparation at Princeton Theological Seminary and moved there full time and left my home in order to pursue ministry. And th this for me was a significant period of time because I knew that my life would never be the same. I remember waking up at 5 a.m. that morning and uh, couldn't sleep that night. I looked over my roadmap back when we used to use those. Anyone even remember using those things? I mean, it would have been easy. I just would have been able to click Google. And, but back then, I actually mapped out where I needed to go, you know, what exits I needed to take. I'd never been to this seminary before. Uh, I hadn't seen it, so I was going sight unseen. Woke up at 5 a.m. I cooked myself a little bit of breakfast. I woke my mom up. I let her know I was leaving. She walked me to the doorstep of our home. And uh, we didn't talk about a lot of these kinds of things in my family. We didn't talk a, a lot about our, our emotions when I was growing up. And so we stood on the, on the doorstep and told her I loved her, and she told me she loved me. We embraced for a long while, and, uh, and up until that point, we really hadn't said a whole lot about me moving out and not coming back home for a very, very long time. And so I turned around, I went to go get in my car, but she stopped me right on the doorstep of our home. She hugged my shoulder, she stopped me, and she, right on the threshold, she said, Ryan, I want you to know something. These were the first words, like I, I'm thinking, whoa, like she's, my mom is gonna say, say something about this. She said, I want you to know something. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know how much I believe in you. And I want you to know that no matter what happens, God will be with you. And that was it. And I turned around and walked away. And I went into my car and I watched her in my rearview mirror as I drove into my new future. And I, I knew that my mom supported my, my choice to go into full-time ministry, but hearing her say those words, in a moment, changed everything for me. It just snapped reality back into place for me. And all, all of us need to hear those identity-shaping words, don't we? I mean, all, all of us need that. We, we need those identity words in the moment, all the time, but we especially need them 
during these moments of significant transition right upon us, standing on the threshold, standing on the doorstep of whatever new future awaits you. No other moment in history did those identity-shaping words mean more than the moment when Israel stepped foot into their promised land. In Joshua chapter five, there they stood for the very first time on the west side of the Jordan River. I mean, you can imagine how many times they must have dreamt about being on the west side of the Jordan River. And here for the first time, they were standing on the promised side of their land. Now, 470 years prior to this moment, God entered into a promised relationship with Abraham. Some of you know this uh, historical narrative in Genesis chapter 12. God began a relationship with Abraham and promised him that he would become a great nation for a very single and specific purpose. That this nation would become a nation that would bless the world. But this nation needed someplace to live. And so he promised them a land on which they would build their nation and on which they would shine brightly all throughout the world. And now for the first time in history, for the very first time in history, 470 years in the making, about two million people, most historians estimate, stood with their feet firmly planted on the promised side of the land. But make no mistake about this. Make no mistake about what you know about Israel and about what you know about this very moment right now. Make no mistake, their identity was a disgraced slave mentality. I mean, these weren't a, uh, like an upper middle class people about to inherit their wonderful land. That was, they were a disgraced slave mentality and their identity was rooted in that. Rooted in this, in this constant statement reverberating in their minds of, I'm a slave and nothing more. I'm, I'm a slave and nothing more. But now they stood on the west side of the land, eager to receive God's promise of blessing, eager to receive their promised inheritance, eager to become a blessing for the sake of the world, poised and ready to receive their land. And the people in the land, they, they saw them and they feared them. They feared Israel standing on the west side of their land. They saw the waters of the Jordan part wide open. They saw two million people walk into the land. I mean, that's called the ultimate intimidation factor when you break it down. I mean, if you're a king and you're thinking, how am I going to protect my land? And you see the water split and two million people come through. You say, oh, yeah, you're going to take my land. Go ahead and take whatever you need to take. I'm, I'm backing away. I mean, in fact, Joshua wrote of the kings in the land, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. This was Israel's moment. They were standing on the threshold of their new future that they awaited for 407 years, right on the threshold, on the doorstep. This was their moment. I mean, you could feel the energy, like, raising. If, if, if you can just use your imagination and think about, wow, what would, what would it mean to wait for 470 years for something and then to get it? Like, what would it mean for you? What would the, the energy mean, the anticipation mean? What would the, the excitement be? I mean, I would imagine everyone's just standing on the, the west side of the river, be like, yeah. I mean, you, you just gotta you just gotta wonder. I mean, this is 400, this is their whole story. A story that's been unfolding for generations upon generations, and now they're actually living the reality of their story. And they're standing on their threshold, poised, ready to go. The kings have melted away in fear. You don't have to be a general at Southcom to understand that now was the time to go until, that is, until God said, eh, 
not yet. I mean, this was, this was the moment. This was Israel's moment. And God said, wait, not, not yet. I want you to stay on the threshold for just a moment. And I want to tell you something. And at that time, Joshua tells us, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. So Joshua, being a good soldier, Joshua being the, the leader of the Israelites, being a man of God, made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population at Gilbeath Rolleth at the precise moment for battle, the precise moment to receive a 407-year inheritance waiting for them. God halted them, halted them, and here's why, as Joshua tells us. Joshua had to circumcise these men because all of the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of them born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years. And so all of the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died, and here's why. Because those men who left Egypt had disobeyed the Lord. And the Lord vowed that he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua did what God commanded them to do. Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their, place, their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. And the reason why they had been circumcised in the land was because during their time of wandering, during their time of disobedience, they, they had been told that they would not receive the, the, the promised inheritance. They were no longer receiving the covenant that God had promised them that they would receive, not the land. God provided manna for them. God gave them protection at night, but God did not let them enter into the land. And so none of their sons were circumcised, nor did they share the Passover feast that we read later in this chapter until they stepped into the west side of the land to reclaim their inheritance as the people of the promise. You can read more about this in Numbers chapter 13. I highly commit it to you. It goes into further detail as to why they disobeyed, how they disobeyed, the results of wandering in the desert for 40 years. This should have been a 12-day journey, but their disobedience led them into a place of confusion. And man, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar to all of us? But then God said to Joshua this, today, in this act of obedience, today, in my command, to these fighting men to be circumcised. I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. And so that place has been called Gilgal to this very day, which means to roll. Friends, don't miss the significance of what God is doing in this passage. Sometimes we read Old Testament passages like this and they just feel archaic and they sound archaic and they, we don't necessarily understand all of the movements happening behind the scenes. But don't miss the significance of what God is doing in this moment. 470 years, 470 years of generational memory, I'm a slave and nothing more, rolled away in a single act of obedient faith. Which calls into question for all of us, our generational memories. It calls into question for all of us how, how long certain voices have been in our minds 
And some of these voices, quite honestly, have been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And before long, we are walking around with these voices telling us certain things about our lives. But when we step back to listen to them, we think, how, how, did, this even, how did I even get here? How, how did these voices even begin arising in, in my mind? That's exactly how Israel felt. 470 years of thinking of themselves as no more than slaves, not worthy of anything else, and yet they're moving into a land. I mean, th that kind of transition is a moment for them to feel the funkiness of all of this. I'm sure a lot of them were like, yeah, we're moving to a land, but I'm sure a lot of them were like, man, we're just undeserving. Do we deserve, what's gonna happen? Are we gonna get wiped out? Is this a trick? Are we undeserving of all this? And so God held them, held them back before they took it, the very doorstep of, of their rightful land, on their threshold in order to tell them Remember whose you are as you go into this land. Remember my promise for you. Remember who you belong to. You are not the sum of what happened in the wilderness. You are not the sum of what happened in Egypt. Remember whose you are and who I am. I am the God who restores and sets free the slave heart. I am the God who intends to bless the whole world through you. Remember whose you are in this moment, as you step forth into your future. This act of circumcision, this act was intended to remind every man who his body, who his mind, who his soul, and who his spirit belonged to. That was the whole purpose for this single act. Now understand the flip side of this. In receiving this act, every man who received it needed to understand and trust with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his body, with all of his soul, who he belonged to. I mean, why else would any man do such a thing? And so every man is, in a sense, who followed through with God's command to be circumcised before taking this land, every man chose in himself to become unstuck, unstuck from a very specific type of mindset, unstuck from his own self-preservation and unstuck from a generational memory that told him that he was only one certain kind of thing, that he was only a slave and nothing more. And so in this act, every man made that decision. Listen, these men became unstuck that day in order to live most fully into their faith, into their calling, into receive their promised inheritance to move forward into the land, which begs the question for all of us when we read the story with our eyes wide open and our ears uh, ready to hear, it begs the question for all of us, are, are we that fully devoted to our Savior? I mean, that, that's the question behind all of this. For a man to commit to circumcision as an adult warrior, that question could only be answered with a yes. For all of us, what, how, how do we answer that question? Are you stuck in self-preservation? Are, are you stuck in generational memory? Are you stuck in voices telling you the same thing over and over and again? Do you just feel stuck in certain aspects of your life? Are you that fully devoted to your Savior to where if your Savior called you to do something, would you feel free to go? Would you feel free to live? Even if living and stepping into your future met a little bit of pain on the front end in order to get through it. For all of those men who completed this act, the word of God tells us that the Lord rolled away the shame and the, and the disappointment of 470 years of generational memory. 
I mean, how extraordinary. How extraordinary. God saw their obedient faith, and for those who responded to God's command, he saw them and counted them as righteous. How extraordinary. I mean, do you, do you feel stuck today? You feel stuck, perhaps in old memories, listening to the shame voices from your past, replaying those moments of failure from decades ago, but they just, man, they're there. And the enemy is whispering that in your ear. Are you stuck in old ways, old identities? Friends, Israel's story is our story too. It's our story. We're not slaves today. But some of us have been stuck in these old ways for a long time. Our Heavenly Father has given us his son, Jesus, to roll away our shame, restore our wrongs back to right, and lift the burden of our guilt. In fact, there was a stone once, as I recall, that was rolled away. And that stone and the empty tomb inside represented the very power of God for us in the world, the power of God to take away our sin, to take away our shame, and to give us freedom. That's what the cross represents, the freedom of forgiveness from our sins and the resurrection being the power to demonstrate that it's true. the guarantee of our salvation. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote, who lives in you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself, for those of us who believe. For God bought you with a high price, and that high, high price was the cross. You don't belong to yourself. You can't buy yourself back from the debt of sin that you owe God, but God in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his generosity bought you back and made you his own. And not just made you his own to live with him, but made you his heir. And not just an heir to uh, a small inheritance, but made you an heir and gave you an inheritance to the kingdom of God in heaven with him for eternity. That's what this good, gracious, generous God gave to us when he sent Jesus on the cross and resurrected from the grave to prove it. Friends, this is good news. This is great news. The news that Israel heard to be circumcised, for their ears, that was great news for them as well because they realized God hadn't forgotten about us. God hadn't let us go 40 years without being circumcised and celebrating the Passover feast because God ignored us. But God was giving us a new day. Today is that new day for us. In Christ, we've been given that new day. And thank God, too, also good news that we don't have to follow in circumcision as a faith marker anymore. I mean, thank God. amen. Amen for the dudes. Yeah, brothers. Yeah, brothers. We don't have to do that. Oh, man. I'm, I'm glad for that. And so God instead has given us baptism to follow through with the marker of faith in our life. In fact, Paul wrote this, true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Now that same mark of the covenant, that same mark of the covenant rep, rep, uh, represented in circumcision back then, that same mark of the covenant now is imprinted on your heart by the Holy Spirit when you believe. And the outward expression of this is baptism. The outward expression of that inward change that happened in your heart when you first believe is now given through baptism. When you first believe, you receive the Holy Spirit who marks you and indicated to you and to your Heavenly Father, hey, this one belongs to you. Hey, Father, this one belongs to you. I'm marking this heart, this heart. Welcome this one when they come into your glory. For this one now belongs to you and they're entitled to your inheritance as your heir, as a royal son, as a royal daughter. No shame, no scorecard. If you think that, erase that.
no shame, no scorecard, only grace, only mercy, only forgiveness. Just come to Jesus for salvation and receive his Holy Spirit as your guarantee of that salvation. The Holy Spirit's work, just like circumcision back, it cut out those old places in our heart. And instead now the Holy Spirit transplants those old places with his righteousness. That's what it means to be sanctified and healed as we go forth on our Christ journey together, every single one of us who have placed our trust in Jesus. And now the way to show this is through baptism. That's the way. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus calls for all of those to believe and be baptized. Baptized symbolizes your surrender to Jesus. Baptism is you following in the way of Jesus. You're dying to your old self. You're dying to the old sinful ways that used to define us. The old slave mindset that used to define us, it no longer does. The voices in our, that keep whispering in our ears, the old things that bring us shame, those things no longer define us. You've been set free from that as you've been buried with that and then risen to new life with Christ, to walk in the newness of freedom, to receive your inheritance and your promise right here. You're on the threshold, just like Israel did some 2,500 years ago, as they stood on the west side of their promised land, you now, for those who place their trust in Jesus, follow in his way and into his forever promise. Today, after this message, I am so glad to tell you that we'll be inviting all of those who want to, all of those who have placed their trust in Jesus, and all of those who now want to take an obedient step of faith forward to show that mark on their heart. We're we're providing baptisms for anyone who wants to right after this message today. And so probably in the next 15 minutes or so, if you feel like, man, I, I believe and I know my heart's been marked, then today, show your mark. Show your mark. Let us know, as awkward as it may feel coming up from the front, I get it, I get it. That would be awkward for me too. Even a gregarious guy like me, it would feel awkward coming up to the front and then going up to the waters of baptism. But show your mark, because your mark is not just for you. Just like this land for Israel wasn't just for them. It was for, to bless the world through them. And as you show your mark, it's a blessing to all of us. And it's a blessing to all of those who don't yet know who Jesus is and what Jesus means. You get to show that by showing your mark. So if, you've, if you believe today, then I want to highly encourage you to come and step into the waters of baptism today. Circumcision back then was an identity marker that claimed whose you are. Baptism now is an identity marker that claims whose you are. Thank God, and as a church with the launch of Miami Beach campus on the horizon, we are standing on another threshold of a new season ready to begin, and now more than ever, we as a church need to remember whose we are, right? We need to remember whose we are as we step into a new future together as one church. This means change, once again, for all of us, which I don't know about you, that raises a whole host of questions for me. It's exciting for me. There are unanswered uh, doubts that I'm still working through for me, but I'm excited. And together as a church, we need to step into this new threshold together and into our future because ultimately the reason why is people are dying. And we say this around here because we believe it. We say it around here because it's true that lives are on the brink. Families are on the brink, lives are in the balance, and eternity is at stake, and judgment will come for all of those who have ever borrowed the breath of God 
that's, that's true. That's, that's, that's what our faith tells us. And we know this to be true. And so in this time, we, we need to remember whose we are as we step through this threshold into our future. I'm always reminded of these sobering truths. Hardly a week goes by that I don't experience one of those truths within my, my world. And I think you do too. We know these people. They're our family members. They're our colleagues. These are our friends. These are our neighbors. That's what this scarlet cord means. We want to do everything possible as a church to help people get under this scarlet cord and find their help and healing in the same, through the same one who has given us that same help and healing too. We don't need all of our questions answered and our fears abated in order to walk through our threshold. Israel certain, certainly didn't. In fact, if you read through the book of Joshua, you'll experience that. Even standing in the promised land, they all cried out. They all experienced fear in some way, shape, or form. They all had questions and doubts about what exactly God was leading them into. It's part of the journey. We don't need to have all those things figured out. What we need to do is stay together and every step of the way remember whose we are and who we belong to. That's what matters in this season. As your campus pastor, I want you to know that I fully believe in our multi-site vision. I fully believe in our, our model and our vision. I believe that in the digital age, God gave us a good model to help share Jesus' good news further and faster and deeper and wider into our community than any of us could have ever imagined a generation ago, including myself. I would have never imagined that church would look like this, but God has given us a good way to help other people get under the scarlet cord most effectively and faithfully. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for what these next few months hold for us as we see our church grow and rise into a place in our county where there is not one single evangelical Protestant church located within a couple of miles. That's a calling for us. There's good news for us as we, as we go into these places in our city. So let's keep learning and living fully together, making the best informed decisions possible, moving forward with bold faith together, as we've heard our senior pastor tell us a couple of weeks ago, and trusting for God to fill the gaps, and perhaps, and I hope to God just perhaps, as we go forth together, that all of us, including myself, will become unstuck in doing church for ourselves and doing church for selfish reasons and getting past our own selfish ambitions. I'm the chief of that, and we can live free together into a new future that God wants to give us. And as we do so, the people who win on the other side are people who then discover this same Lord and Savior that you and I have experienced come alive and true in their own life. When we get stuck in this, the people who lose are the people who are dying. The people whose lives are in the balance, the families are on the brink, and the eternity that's at stake for everybody. When we're stuck, that's what's lost on the other side of that. When we're free, that's what actually gets to change in our city. Man, I mean, that fires me up just thinking about that. That, that just fires me up. You know, we, we believe in a God who sets people free. In fact, you will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. If the Son sets you free, Jesus said, then you will be free indeed. Paul wrote, for it is, by, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not for yourselves. It is the gift of God, the free gift. Do you want to become unstuck and live free today? Does anyone want to live free? Man, let me hear you say yes. Let me hear you say Christ in you. The hope of glory. Man, that's our truth that we get to share outside of these walls every single day of the week. 
And if you're feeling stuck, then I wanna, I wanna share with you just a glimpse of what I went through a couple of weeks ago. And you can follow my lead and how I literally got unstuck from this right here. I was stuck in that. That's an elevator. I was stuck in an elevator a couple weeks ago. Can you believe that? Look at that. Like, I was literally preparing for this message. That's me. Just, you know, you can recognize the bald head in there. And uh, I, I was at a day with my family, and I literally got stuck. Just cold, hard stuck in that elevator. In fact, when you're, if you've ever been stuck in an elevator, I don't know about you, but for me, this is what went through my mind. Just repeatedly. This, this old scene from a long time ago just went through my mind. Maybe some of you have been stuck in an elevator too. Man. Man, that was going through my mind all day, all day that day, stuck in that elevator. And uh, as I was stuck, I, uh, I, I realized, okay, like it bounced for a little bit and um, that felt weird. Okay, so uh, I, I'm stuck in this thing. And when you feel stuck, you just feel helpless and hopeless to anything that might change. And so this one, uh, one of the security guards at the place where I got stuck, he managed to pry open the doors of the elevator and he peered through and he looked at me and uh, he looked at me through this tiny little hole right there. Like I, I was really genuinely stuck in between these two floors and he peeked in and he said, hey, the firefighters are on their way. And I peeked up and I said, okay, good. I'm looking forward, looking forward to when that, when that comes. And so one of the firefighters who came, he was one of the big giant dudes and he shoved this pole down into the elevator. He said, hey, I want you to grab onto this. I'm just gonna yank you through this hole. And I said, uh, uh, you know, when a firefighter tells you to do something, you just do it. You know, I, don't, I mean, I'm not going to question a firefighter, but I did think me through that little hole that, that might, you know, it might hurt, especially if something shifts in the elevator. Like, there's no room for margin anywhere. But the security guard who introduced himself to me as Tommy said, no, 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 we're not, you're not bringing him through that hole. We're not doing anything, anything today that's going to cause irreversible circumstances today. And then he smiled and looked at me, and I'll never forget this. I actually wrote this down. He looked at me and he said, listen, we're not doing anything today that's going to cause some irreversible circumstances. I've been through enough of my life to know and experience irreversible circumstances in me. And I thought, man, haven't we all? And thank God for your self-awareness because you probably saved me from getting squashed in that little hole. And so this man, Tommy, he did something for the next couple of hours that I never anticipated. This guy, Tommy, sat down at that little hole, that little opening, and he literally kept me company for the next two hours. Amazing, amazing. And the whole time, I thought about this verse from Paul's letter to the Galatians, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love, which always demands a sacrifice. Tommy sacrificed his time, his energy, even his own, uh, you know, everything he had to do that day in order to sit with me in my stuck zone and bear my burden. And later, a couple of hours later, when the elevator people company came and they climbed up to the top and they started, you know, tinkering on the buttons and they manually lifted me up, Tommy said to me, he said, don't come out. 
until you can literally walk out of that elevator. He said, you're not crawling out of that elevator. You're going to walk out of it. And I said, Tommy, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. And so when the elevator company came up and rose up the elevator, it, it was literally even with the floor. I listened for Tommy's voice. And when he said, it's time to move, I moved. Tommy walked with me through every single moment of being stuck in that elevator. And for me, it just reminded me, oh my, how often do we feel stuck in whatever elevator that, you know, you name it, you know, we get stuck in our worries, we get stuck in our doubts, we get stuck in our fears and our shames, we get stuck in all kinds of different poisons and, and toxicities and that, and substance abuse and pornography and all the ways that manifests itself. And I thought to myself, if, if I could share anything from my time feeling stuck in an elevator, I felt all kinds of different emotions during my time stuck in that. I felt, I felt weak. I felt embarrassed, I, I felt vulnerable, I felt uh, just by the virtue of Tommy staying with me, even though it meant so much to me, I felt so insecure that someone else had to sit with me in my own stuck zone. I was stuck in an elevator. I mean, I needed help and I even resisted help for the first few times that Tommy wanted to sit with me. I mean, how, how prideful, how human of all of us. I was physically stuck. You know, it's not as though I could just mask my shame. I was just physically stuck in an elevator, and I still resisted being stuck the same way that we all res resist being stuck. I mean, I, I didn't want any help at all. I mean, it made, it made me feel all kinds of different emotions that I didn't want to experience. But if I could share anything with you from my time sitting in that elevator, I would share with you this. Invite someone to come with you. Invite someone to come with you. Humble yourself at least just enough to receive it. Identify whatever emotion you may be experiencing in your stuck place and then feel that emotion all the way through. You know, Paul told us in first in second Corinthians, he said, take captive every one of your thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. If you're feeling all different kinds of emotions that don't belong in your stuck field, take them captive and then make them a slave to Jesus. Listen to other trustworthy voices with you. You know, there was at one point a group of teenagers who worked at the place where I got stuck and they wanted to come and just start pushing buttons to try to make the elevator move again. I mean, you could just imagine how anxious I started feeling. My heart started palpitating a little bit just hearing them. Okay, uh, let's just back up. And Tommy said, no, 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 no. His safety is the first priority and I'm taking the lead from here. He said that to those individuals. I knew that was a voice that I could trust. Share your burden with someone else sitting with you. Choose to walk through your threshold into freedom. If you're feeling stuck today, let someone else come with you and bear your burden and journey with you, even if that journey takes a long while. And then friends, for others of you in here who have been freed, who have been released from your stuck zone, and you are now walking in freedom, then friends, I wanna invite you to get close to someone else stuck, even if they resist it. So don't push, don't push them. Demonstrate love toward that person through your ministry of presence, because sometimes the most important ministry you can demonstrate in front of another person is just simply being present with them, and that's in a small little space, and joining them in whatever burden they may be experiencing. Earn the right to be heard with someone who feels stuck. Seek to understand how they got stuck. Ask great questions. Don't necessarily give advice. Ask great questions about how that person found themselves stuck in that position. Listen well for their answers. Really listen well to understand. Prove yourself trustworthy. Help them get stuck while keeping them safe. Guard their dignity. 
Tommy did that for me. Anytime any, any one of the people who were in this location where I was stuck, like just people passing by, he said, just move along, move along now, move along. You know, he guarded my dignity. That's what he was doing in that moment. And then keep it real. You know, this man shared with me so many great stories, made me laugh. He didn't make my experience all about being stuck, but he kept my life real in the moment. So the question that we need to think about today is, do you want to get unstuck? Jesus said it like this, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well today? Because if you want to get well, then just like I do daily, turn from living like the God of my own life to the surrendered arms of Jesus who are ready to lift you up out of your stuck zone and lead you into freedom. That's what this scarlet cord means. If you want to live out the scarlet cord, if you want to be a Tommy for somebody else, it means getting close to someone else in their stuck zone and helping them find the only Savior who can lead us into newness of life. Remember whose you are. Remember whose you are as we lead together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for making a way back home to you, Father. We thank you for seeking us out in the far country, stuck in our pig pens, stuck in the shame and in the voices of doubt. And we thank you that you didn't leave us to live there on our own for the rest of our lives, but you crossed the boundary of heaven and earth to find us. And so, Father, we give you all of our thanks and praise. And today we turn our eyes toward others who may be in those same places that we once lived. Father, turn our attention there. Give us a holy discontentment for our friends, our family members, our colleagues who feel stuck today. As a church, give us holy discontentment for our city. And help us walk in your freedom to help others find and follow you. And Father, for anyone here today who wants to begin this new journey and become unstuck from wherever they feel rooted down, then I invite them to pray this prayer with me today. Father, I receive your forgiveness. I thank you for giving you, for giving me your son. I thank you for empowering me by your Holy Spirit and for marking my heart new again. And so, Father, I receive it. I'm turning from my old way, and I'm walking your way. In this prayer, I make, in, the, in your name, I make this prayer. If you prayed that prayer with me today, and you want today to be the first day where you become unstuck, then would you simply raise your hand so I can see you? And just bless you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Father, for the hands raised today, I pray that you give them courage. Father, for our church, I pray that you give us courage to walk boldly into our new future. We're standing on the threshold and you have spoken and you have said, remember whose you are. And so we claim your identity and we receive it and we share it. In your name we make this prayer, amen.